started talking last week about uh, this particular thought here, how to behave in God's house. So if you would, um, we're going to jump right in where we left off last week, First Timothy chapter number three, where Paul's writing to Timothy, a kind of a mentor. Can you see that okay? Looks like there's a glare, but maybe it's not. Justin, can you see it? Okay, all right. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That means revealed, of course. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Then we turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, chapter number five. And I apologize for not having the text here. Chapter number five, verse one and two. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. And be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and now upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. In other words, consider who you're talking to. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But the first thing we mentioned uh, last week, in fact, the only thing we covered last week was reverence for God. Um, our, our country and our culture has uh, gotten to the place where not only do we lack reverence for God, we're in fact irreverent. Uh, we, we mock God, we scoff, we ridicule, we make light, we make little um, to where, um, you know, they, uh, people don't mind speaking their mind against God. They don't mind being blasphemous. They don't. In fact, the Bible talks about a t- time, particularly in the Old Testament, there was no fear of God before their eyes. By the way, God brought great judgment when that happened. When you have, when you have a guy like Ronald Reagan's son who stands up and makes the statement that he made on national TV yesterday, uh, which, and I'm going to misquote it, so if somebody remembers it, help me. What was it he said? said, do you remember? I, I'm not at all afraid of burning in hell. Yeah. I'm not all at all afraid of burning in hell. And uh, that was sent out um, on networks all across the country. Um, now, uh, by the way, there's a couple things about that. Number one, he doesn't believe in hell. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in judgment. Uh, and he's part of, uh, you know, a lo- growing number of atheists in our country. And one of the things they've lost is reverence for God. It's no wonder, though, our country in every area and every arena started pulling God out. We pu- Listen, I remember going to, and I know I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in military bases, which a lot of times largely are conservatives uh, areas. But I'm talking about a time when I grew up, and if there was uh, an evangelist in town, they loaded, they loaded the kids up on the school bus, took them to the local church to hear, them hear the evangelist preach. That's the America I grew up in. Now, by the way, they wouldn't do that today in the place where I grew up in. I'm just, so it, I'm, I'm saying 40 years ago, or more, that was that was pretty commonplace. And so uh, I mentioned last week, you know, uh, a lot of people think, you know, it's crazy that Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday. Um, but Truett Cathy, um, he's doing what he started the business on because back then our nation observed what was known as the blue laws. The blue laws, nothing was open on Sunday. Uh, you, you didn't go anywhere. If you needed gas, you got it on Saturday. Everybody went, everybody went to church. The largest percentage of the American population 50 years ago went to services on Sunday. There wasn't anything else to do. Now we've given them every kind of option in the world. They're not out doing bad things, but they're doing other things than what they should be doing is, is the point. 
So it shouldn't surprise us that a guy who's the, the, the son of former President Reagan, and I've read a couple books on Reagan. I, I, think, I think more than likely Ronald Reagan was born-again Christian. Um, I, if you feel differently, that's okay. I wouldn't, I'm not, wouldn't argue the point, but I have read uh, two or three books about Reagan. But uh, one thing we see is a very, very irreverent culture. What happens a lot of times when that happens in what we, what we term the secular world is that type of thinking and philosophy winds up creeping its way into our churches. That's why our churches have become more worldly and more uh, left-leaning. Um, for instance, and, I, and I'm not picking on any particular denomination because I, I'm a Baptist because I think, you know, it wasn't John the Lutheran. But, um, <laughs> but there, there are other reasons, and that's kind of summing it up in a nutshell. But, um, but a lot of denominations, you know, they have no problem ordaining women preachers. I had someone ask me recently, why can't a woman pastor a church? And I said, well, she can. Um, but... It, it won't be scriptural, and the church won't be biblical. Um, but uh, I, I didn't say that. You say, well, you're chauvinistic, you're bigoted. No, I want to be a biblicist. And um, I, I've met some women who are probably better preachers than men anyway. Um, but it does, that's not the way God ordained it. That's not the way God instituted it. And so now our culture has grown more and more. to. In fact, it, it, churches, particularly in the Northwest and in our region, progressive areas of the country we're a minority when we don't when we don't uh, and I've visited people I, I literally have visited in the homes of people who visited our church and they said to me I know you don't have any women pastors and I'd say no we don't and it's, it's not my choice that's God's choice because it's not my church and I don't say that as a cop-out but people can argue with me all they want because I'm just a man I'm just flesh and bones but if you got an argument with God that's a different story altogether um, and so I told him, I said, well, this is what the Bible says, and we try to practice what the Bible says. The Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. So God says that he would not suffer a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man. And so she's not placed in a position. And there's, there's a lot of other passages of Scripture, so I, I'm not preaching on that. If you came tonight as a lady and were hoping to be ordained, sorry, tonight's not your night. <laughs> but um, um, so, you, you know, uh, you'd also have a hard time husband of one wife, though maybe not so much in our culture anyway. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but so those are, those are statements that God put in the word of God. And when you and I wrestle and have a problem with those things, we're wrestling against God. And so we've, we've lost the reverence for the things of God. The passage that we looked at was uh, uh, the Jesus casting out the money changers. And he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise but and then uh, over in Titus talks about a uh, holy godly behavior but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine that the aged men be sober uh, grave temperate sound in faith and charity and in patience and the aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness not false accusers not given to much wine teachers of good things so if you have a reverence for the things of God it's it's uh followed up by a life that is holy, a life that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord. You know, uh, there might be things that you did in your former life prior to salvation. And the reason you change those is because of God's opinion on the matter. See, I may feel this. That's why sometimes when people say, well, pastor, what do you think about this? 
really doesn't matter what Stuart Mason thinks about anything because I'm not the final authority. The only opinion that really matters, and I can give you an opinion, and sometimes when people come for counseling, they'll say, what do you think about this? And I'm glad to give an opinion, but my opinion has to be shaped by biblical principles. And when our conduct and our behavior and the things that happen within the walls of church, particularly in our private life, but also in our public life, they've got to uh, declare a reverence. Um, It's one of the reasons why we don't do everything in church that we might do out there in terms of our conduct and behavior. And I'm talking about that. It's a holy place. You know, I've mentioned before, uh, for instance, um, we're not going to loan these these chairs and the piano uh, to a wine festival. You say, why? Well, they're not my chairs, first of all. Now, I might loan them to another church, somebody that's like-minded that's having a big day or a big event, but this, this is holy. Everything in this place is holy, and we have to treat it as such. That's why uh, if, if, if your, your children are running around haywire and an older person tells them, hey, we don't do this in the Lord's house, don't get sideways at that older person who's trying to instill some respect for the things of God. You say, well, it's just a chair. No, 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 not when things are brought into God's house because it's always set apart for God's business. That, that's why this, this, pia- this keyboard, you say, well, that's just a keyboard. Granted, yes, it is. But when it's put to use in God's house, everything, everything takes on a different tenor altogether. And so it's important how to behave in the house of God. First of all, to understand that there's got to be reference. Then the second thing is hearing. And uh, I want to look at a couple of verses uh, first of all, from Ecclesiastes 5.1, one we've already looked at. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Then Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. It's very important that we come to church with an attitude expecting to hear from God doesn't matter who would be preaching. It doesn't matter what message would be given, what passages would be read, what songs would be sung. God always has something for everybody every time they come to church. But this particular verse here, uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34, God promises or pronounces a blessing. You think about all the times the word blessed is mentioned in the Bible, particularly in the books of Psalms and Proverbs. But God promises blessing for that man that is hearing him, that person that's in tune to what God has to say. Well, you've got to be in the place where God is speaking. Sometimes people say, God speak, God can speak anywhere. Sure he can. But one of the places he regularly speaks, you find it throughout the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, is his house. His house. And so this person is listening to God, in tuned with God, watching daily at my gates. That's, that's a sense of expectation, waiting at the post of my doors. In other words, sometimes we get to the position where if, we, if God doesn't say what we want, we do what we want anyway. Or we get tired of waiting upon the Lord And all through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, you find the command or the challenge or the reminder to us, wait, I say, wait on the Lord. Why is that reminder to us? Because we don't want to wait. We're impatient. I've used plenty of illustrations before. We are by nature very impatient. But God says, hang on, just just, uh, the Old Testament real core language is chill, okay? And that means don't rush uh, because usually when we rush into something, we're getting ready to make a big mistake. God says, I'll tell you how to behave in my house. Make sure you come watching, waiting, and expecting God to do something. That, by the way, that patience uh, is allowing God time to work. Uh, I can't tell you how many times over the years someone comes and says, well, I need to know how to handle this situation. Sometimes uh, I'll tell you, listen, if you don't know what to do, do, do what you know to do. 
You say, what does that mean? Well, I know this when it comes to the things of God. I know I've got to be faithful to God. I've got to be faithful to his house. There's so much that is very clear in the Bible that I do know that I need to do. I can just wait on the rest. But many times we get tired of waiting. Remember, Paul, on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And God didn't even tell him. If God didn't tell Paul at the moment of conversion, by the way, would, I think you'd call that a pivotal moment in his life. At the moment of conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul asks a serious question, Lord, what do you want me to do? God says, arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee. In other words, God said to him, I'll tell you later, because a lot of times God's moving, God's leading, and God's directing our life. It's very slow. That's why the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Sometimes people say, well, how's it all going to turn out? Well, I don't know how it's all going to turn out. I know it's going to turn out well for the child of God. I know that in the end, we win. I know that in the end, no matter what happens in this life, you're going to have a home and an eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ forever. I know that. But I don't know what's going to happen along the way. You know, Annie mentioned even in prayer, and, and uh, I, I forgot to have that one down, a, a, a young lady who passed away. I, she was probably in college with you, I would guess. Is that right? Right around your era. And uh, she's battling, uh, battling uh, cancer again for at least the second time, I think, right? You know, stage four cancer. And uh, I think 50, is that right? Somewhere around there. But uh, so y- you think about that and you think, man, why? I think about uh, the, the request there for uh, Karen Mendez, uh, sweet, sweet lady. And uh, here she is battling cancer and, and it does not look great for her. And you want to scratch your head and say, what is God doing? Always remember this, God is always doing. It doesn't al- it's not always clear. It doesn't always make sense to us what he's doing. But God's never abandoned. God's never forsaken. David said, I've been young and of old and have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. That's two thoughts that are mentioned in there. One is the lack of hunger. But the second thing is they've never been abandoned. They have never been forsaken by God. And you may go through what some people want to call hell on earth, for lack of a better expression. But even if, if your life falls to pieces from a world's perspective, you're never going to be alone. You, you know, the song we sing from time to time, no, never alone. He promised never to leave me alone. God's made that very clear. Then, so we see uh, the first thing we notice is reverence. The second thing, hearing. And then thirdly, how to behave in the house of God, a broken spirit and heart. You say, well, boy, this is me. This is how I feel right now. By the way, it's not a bad spot to be in. Because do you realize that David said it was good for me that I was afflicted? Good for me that I was afflicted. You see, because God says about a broken spirit. In fact, let me look at these verses here. First of all, Ecclesiastes uh, 5. Let me see. I've got the wrong verse here. Um, Let's go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Remember, by the way, go back to the very beginning in the garden. Um, or after the garden, you have Cain and Abel bringing their offering. And God said, it wasn't the offering it was what, that, I, that I was requesting, and that's the reason Cain's wasn't accepted. He brought something different than uh, what God wanted. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. Notice this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Man, that's huge. One of the classic examples in the New Testament is the publican. You remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican? The Pharisee went up to the temple to pray. 
And he's praying, and he says, I thank thee, O God. And you can picture the scene. You've pictured it a hundred times if you've ever heard or read that passage, that I am not as this, and he gestures perhaps with a glance or a wave of an arm, that I thank thee that I'm not as this publican. And then he begins to list all of his accomplishments and achievements. I, I fast tithes. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's, he's listing all of his, everything about him. The publican, on the other hand, man, his heart's broken. He realizes, man, I don't even have a business being in church. What am I doing here? And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's a broken individual. And by the way, you will never get right with God about any area of your life until you're broken where you're at. For instance, if you're, if you're struggling with something right now in your life personally, until you're broken about it, don't ever expect recovery from it. Because God says, that's what I'm looking for. I, I'm not looking for you to come and say, well, okay, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can please God this way. or I'll try, I'll try this. And God says, no, no, no. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, thou wilt not despise. They say the great Welsh revival, which lasted for decades and saw millions saved. Um, the story is told about a young lady who was standing in a balcony and uh, uh, the, the, they started the service one particular night, and it was dead silence. Nobody was saying anything, and she simply stood up and said, Lord, save me. And they said a, a hush and moving of the Lord came over that congregation. And for weeks and even months and years beyond, they had people falling on their faces and repenting to the Lord. Um, what was it? A broken and contrite heart. And when you come to God that way, when you're coming to church, and you say in my heart, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. I'm not coming to show God what I know and what I can do. I'm coming. I'm like a sponge. I noticed this, this so many times, particularly with, uh, with new Christians. Man, they have a hunger for the things of God. Um, I have talked, on the other hand, with some people who say, well, you know, uh, uh, this is what I, th- you know, this is what I think and this is what I know. Uh, but, boy, not a new Christian. They don't have anything figured out. Um, and it's a, it's a marked difference. But you find throughout the Bible, for instance, uh, uh, the passage we mentioned earlier there in, in Genesis, in a process of time it came to pass, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto Lord. And secondly, we look over in the book of Le- Leviticus, Leviticus chapter number 10, the story of Nadab and Abihu. How many are familiar with this one? Okay. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, pretty well-known guy in the Bible, right? Aaron took either of them, his censer, and put fire therein and put incense thereon, and notice this phrase, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. They're bringing something. God says, that's not what I asked for. That's not how I work. And by the way, you don't go to God how you think. You don't go to God and say, well, these are my terms. God, do, <laughs> You know, our military and our government, sometimes we don't negotiate with terrorists. You know what God's motto is? I don't negotiate with sinners. Well, that includes all of us. Because it's not negotiation. It's not like, well, okay, if I give you this, you'll give me this. That's not the way it works. It's not, I surrender some. You know, uh, we, you know, a guy who, who's turning his army over in a, in a battle when loss is imminent, he doesn't wave a almost white flag. It's completely white. It's absolute surrender. And so uh, uh, the Bible says in the verse that follows, after that strange fire, and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then uh, uh, Luke chapter number 18, passage we referenced earlier, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous 
and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. It's not enough that he's bragging about himself. He's throwing the whole kit and caboodle at this guy. He says, this guy, man, I can tell you what he's probably like, extortioner, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. So we find um, very clearly that if you, when you come to God, you've got to come with a broken spirit and a heart. Um, when you come to church, each and every one of us, ought to come expecting to hear from God, but in the right frame of mind so that God can speak to us. Then the fourth thing is this, come with a stillness and awe about us. Um, I'd say it this way, understand where you're at. You're in God's house. And you know, one of the things, um, and I I realize that of course we we have what we refer to in the banks and all the people to whom we answer here, they refer to it as a multi-purpose facility. And sometimes, and we do, we use it for a lot of things. We'll uh, break it down for the Iwana program. We'll uh, break it down for our meals, and all of those things are good. I'm not saying anything negative about them. Um, basketball, volleyball night, and what have you. But at the end of the day, when we walk into these doors, we have to realize this is God's house. And when we start looking at it differently than that, now, God's house, with a multitude of uses, and a multitude of things going on, you know, basically six, many weeks, seven days a week, this property is being used for the Lord's work, but uh, it's God's house. And so it's important for us to come with a stillness and an awe about us. One of the verses we've already read a couple times, but I'll look at it again. Be not rash with thy mouth, let thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Afterwards, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 20. Seest thou man that is hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than of him. So the Bible's given us some very clear instruction. That is when you come to God's house, come saying in your heart, God, you got something for me and I want to hear it. Um, Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and uh, you couldn't get a word in edgewise. One reason is because maybe they already knew everything, right? They can't be helped. They can't be talked to. And they already know. They got it all figured out. Sometimes when we come to church, we already know what we're going to do. I've said this many times. I believe when we come to the Lord's house, we know where we stand with the Lord. We know if we're right with God. We know if we're distant from it. We know if there's something in our life that needs to be corrected, adjusted. We know if God's been convicting us about something, whatever it is. Um, we already know that. And so when we come into God's house, God has already begun to do his work many times. And so you come not to tell God how it's all going to work out. Not to say, God, now this is the deal. This is how it's going to This is how it's going to play out. Um, that's not how God works. And so when we come with that stillness and awe, remember, we're coming because we're ready to hear. Um, one thing that is significant about that, I'm trying to, I'm trying to move because I want to finish this tonight. We've only got about eight minutes left. Uh, one of the things that is significant about that is don't forget who God is. Um, I've, re- I've read about this event in numerous books, but it was called Crystal Knot, uh, which is the night of broken glass. And it refers to during the period of the Holocaust and when they came in and they 
they destroyed so many of the Jews' businesses and all the different things. But um, how many of you have been to the Holocaust Museum? The Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C.? Just a couple of you. If you ever get a chance to go, if you're ever in the D.C. area, it is well worth the time, and sometimes you have to wait. And, um, but it is, a, it is one of the most moving uh, moving museums I've ever ever been in, and I, I'm, I'm a museum guy. I, re I really enjoy them. But um, we, there's a section in that, in that museum, and of course it goes through uh, the, the chronology of the Third Reich and their, uh, of course, the Holocaust and how they, you know, you know, brought in so many Jews and then, then basically executed them one by one. But uh, in one of the scenes regarding Kristallnacht, there's the, uh, from, from a Jewish synagogue in one of the towns, I don't even remember which town it was in Germany, but I've read about events similar to this. Um, there is a, a mantle, oh, and it's probably, it's probably every bit this big. I'm, I'm remembering, going off memory here, maybe this tall. And uh, it was, uh, they took axes to it and were destroying it. And it was uh, it was the uh, the wall on which the uh, the the Torah and the biblical scrolls for them would have been anchored and secured, and all of the the holy items that they would use in the synagogue. But in in German, above the top of it, were the words uh, were, was the statement rather, "Consider before whom thou stand." And it was a reminder for the rabbi as he was coming in that he was. What he was instituting here, what he was doing here, was the office of a priest. And so it was a very, very sacred thing. But yet here, and you could see where they had uh, uh, tumbled it to the wall, and they were taking axes, and it destroyed much of it. And I've thought so many times over the years of that particular image, still in my mind, of this wall and the statement on it, consider before whom thou stand. And you know, not that we would put anything up like that as you come into the door of the church, but really, when you come to church, it'd be a sobering reminder. Consider whose house you're in. You know, every place you go in, it says, you know, something like no shoes, no shirt, no service, you know. And we're not going to throw that up on the, on the door. But I'm simply saying this. Do, do you ever pause to think whose house you're coming to? And that he has something specifically for you. And so when we come, there is, a, there is intended to definitely be a stillness and an awe about who God is. I, I've got I've to hit a couple of these. Uh, first of all, the Bible tells us he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Church is never about me as a pastor. It's always about him. Church is never about you with your gifts or talents or, or someone's ability or someone's um, benevolence, who's a big contributor. All those things are good, and all those things help make church go. But at the end of the day, the Bible says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Then we notice uh, the passage dealing with uh, Moses here. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. You know where I'm going with this, probably if you're familiar with this uh, passage from Exodus chapter number three, but I want to read these verses. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the fire was not consumed. Uh, the bush was not consumed, brother. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. 
And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. By the way, God doesn't have to speak to you from a burning bush to try to get your attention. Uh, he doesn't have to send a fish with your name on it like he did with Jonah. But uh, God always wants to speak to his people. And he said, draw nigh, nigh thither, hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. One thing that you see from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament is people had a right attitude about God. Um, from time to time, and I'm, I'm not going to finish this last point because I, I want to mention this. You know, from time to time, and I, I listen to preaching, and uh, I, I read uh, every week uh, from preachers and different things as, as well as, you know, other books that I'm reading at the, at the time. And occasionally I'll read some guy who, who is commanding or demanding God. Um, but God doesn't work that way. You know, they'll, sometimes you'll see it in their prayers. You know, God, I'm, I'm commanding you to do this, or I, I demand. But you can't, you can't do God that way. God doesn't take orders from us. Uh, we take our orders from heaven. And so when you and I understand uh, how to behave in the house of God, uh, we know that uh, the, the first thing that we have to understand is we've got to come with reverence. We know who God is we got to come with an attitude that says, I want to hear. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. You know as well as I do, particularly those of you that have children. And I know not everybody in here may, but you have children or you've had children at home at some point. When you have a child and they're just not listening, you hear the expression in one ear and out the other. I wonder this, how many times could God say that about you or me? Well, he's here every week, but he never gets a thing. Well, she's, she's been in church all of her life. And I've been trying to help her with this one thing, but she just doesn't. Now, God doesn't say that out loud about any of us. But if God could say that about any of us in our attention span, if you will, or our response time, uh, what would it be in regards to hearing? Then the third thing, a broken spirit and heart. And then the fourth thing, a stillness and awe about God and the things of God. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why, why I've said, you know, hey, let's, let's do our best in church to keep our young people off the platform. Because, I, I, you, you know, I realize that for them, sometimes it's hard to wrestle in your mind. Hey, just a few moments ago, we were chasing these bowling pins in the, you know, on the hardwood with Awana. I understand that. But I don't want to put those bowling pins up on the platform. And, uh, and, and because for a child, they're, they're sitting here, okay, I'm trying to relate this. But I always want to make sure that there is a difference between uh, that, which is, that which is holy. And uh, there's got to be a reverence and awe for the things of God. Um, it's taught by the Lord. It's taught in the word of God. And it's taught by each and every one of us. And so uh, as we think about how to behave in the house of God, the next time we have an opportunity to get together, I, I do want to cover this last thought um, because I think it... Uh, I think it is so important. But uh, anyway, our time is gone. I appreciate, again, you being here. Don't forget, Building Grounds on Saturday. We could use a good crowd to help with that. We've got plenty to do inside. Um, and uh, don't forget the handful of tracks on your way out. And take advantage of the opportunity.